Well, I'm excited today. We're going to continue our study in faith. This is the second in the series. And I want to talk to you today about focused, fervent faith. I want everybody to say that with me. Focused, fervent faith. Because that's what God calls us to. And when we have focused, fervent faith, church, things happen. It's impossible to please God without faith. That's what Scripture says. But when we focus our faith on a certain need, and the Holy Spirit energizes us, and we have that fervency in our faith, and then we ask God, we pray, God moves and does great and mighty things. Amen? In Scripture, I'm going to look at James chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 first. And then hold your uh, place in Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. I want to look at these two passages of Scripture today. Now, the verse in James is very familiar. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. In James chapter 5, verse 16, Scripture says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he explains why the healing comes when we pray one for another. He says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And this is not excluding women. It is written as mankind. It includes women as well. Can ladies say amen? Amen. Your prayers are powerful and effective. Our prayers are fervent. And they're faith-filled prayers. And this speaks of a fervency that comes from the Holy Spirit. And And when we pray with focus and fervency in faith, guess what? Breakthroughs happen. Do you ever need a breakthrough? All of us need a time where, God, we need you to to bust through into this situation and bring your mighty presence and power. I want us to look at the next verse, verse 17 in James as well, because he gives an illustration of someone who's praying in focused, fervent faith. It's Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I want everybody to say amen to that. It's saying that Elijah isn't someone we put on a pedestal, that he's in the elect few that God works mighty miracles through. James is making sure you understand his nature is fallen just like our nature. We're human. We, we have that sin nature and we have to battle that. But God is greater than that and God wanna, wants to work through our lives and he wants us to have focused, fervent faith. So what else does he say? He says, and he prayed. He was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. His prayers accomplished a miracle. Church, Your prayers can accomplish miracles. 
Don't ever think that your prayers can't accomplish miracles. If you come focused with your prayers with fervency and faith, you're going to see a breakthrough. Elijah, and we're studying Elijah on Wednesday nights, and if, if you can come, I encourage you to come. It's a great study. But in this story of this man who just appears on the scene out of nowhere, and he gets in the face of Ahab, and he, he confronts his sin. But this man, God used in a miracle that intervened in nature. The rain stopped for three and a half years and it started when he prayed. God is greater than the natural laws in our world. He can suspend them. He can stop them. And we see in the life of Elijah, we see a man who has that focused, fervent faith, and God impacts an entire nation through one man, through one man's prayers. Now I want to go to Genesis. I want you to jump over to Genesis chapter 18. Because in Genesis, we have another case, and it's actually the original first case of fervent or focused, fervent faith. It's in the life of Abraham. And in the life of Abraham, he learned the privilege to stand in the gap, to intercede with, with faith and prayer. And I want us to see a few verses before I, I read the, the Genesis account. Because I want you to know that you are connected to Abraham. That when we read about Abraham, we're not just reading about someone in history that God used mightily, and it's a, it's a great little encouraging little story from history. God's Word says that we're connected to Abraham, that we are spiritually His children. And so the promises that God gave Abraham and his descendants are for us. And I want, to, I want us to see that in Scripture. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then, listen to this, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Did you hear that? Turn to somebody next to you and tell them, you're one of Abraham's kids. I love this verse because it says there's no ethnic uh, limitations. Amen? There's no socioeconomic limitations or class limitations. And there's no gender limitations in Christ. God works through all of us. He's no respecter of persons. And if you are Christ then according to Scripture, you are Abraham's seed. Another verse is Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? 
For if Abraham was justified by works, he, was, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Now listen to this. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then in verse 12 of that same chapter, it goes on and it says, But who also walk in these steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So we see in Abraham a prototype of someone who was focused in, in his faith, who had fervency in his faith, and who prayed and saw God move mightily. And so Scripture's telling us we're his kids. Amen? So we need to focus our faith. We need to fervently have faith and pray and see God do awesome things. Amen? Now I want you to look in Genesis. Genesis, actually before we read chapter 18, Genesis chapter 12 verse 2, this is the promise God gave Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. God's telling Abraham there, the world is going to be better off because you are in it. And that's a promise for you. Amen? Let God speak that to your heart today. God is saying the world is better off because of you. Because you know Jesus. Because you've been set free from your sin. Because you live for God. Because you're the salt and you're the light. Because you make a difference in this world. The world is better off because you're in it. Now turn to somebody and tell them that. The world's better off because you're in it. Now in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus is speaking about, well, it's commonly referred to the Sermon on the Mount. And in that verse, he's saying a very similar thing to what he said to Abraham. He's saying, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we a lot of times don't understand what God's word means by meek. When we think of meek, we think of someone who's, who's kind of wimpy. Everybody say wimpy. And God's kids are not wimpy. Meekness is controlled strength. Meekness are those that are humble because we recognize we're nothing without God. Amen? And we're humbly coming in alignment with our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ so that the power of God can be manifest in our lives and through our lives. That's what it's talking about, meekness. And when it's talking about inheriting the world, it's not talking about, 
oh, I'm going to inherit the state of Alaska. That's mine. He's not talking about that. It's talking about what he was saying to Abraham. That the world's better off because of you. Because your life impacts the world. You make a difference because you are the salt and the light for Jesus Christ. Amen? So turn to somebody and say, I'm glad I'm meek. I'm having you talk to each other to keep you awake today. It's warm in here. Now there's a few things I want us to see But let's read chapter 18, and I want to begin with verse 16 of Genesis. It's it's a a good portion of Scripture, but it encompasses the whole story, and I want us to, to grasp this thoroughly today. Verse 16, chapter 18, Genesis. Then the men arose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham? What I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Did you hear that? For I have known him in order that he may, he may command his children and his household after him. I, that's a whole message, and I would love to preach that, but we don't have time this morning. I just want to make a statement, though. God is concerned about the life Abraham is living and how it's going to affect his children. Amen? The life that we live affects our kids. The number one ministry you're called to is not if you're a pastor or teacher or Sunday school or volunteer. Your number one ministry, church, is to your family. It's to your family. Scripture continues that they keep the way of the Lord. We're to train up our children to keep the way of the Lord. To do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham Abraham still stood before the Lord. Everybody say, he stood before the Lord. He was standing in the gap for the next generation, for his family, for Lot and his family. He was standing in the gap before the Lord. Church, we have been called to do the same. We've been called to stand in the gap for our children. For our grandchildren, we've been called to stand in the gap for our city and our state and our nation. And church, the only hope for the United States of America isn't politicians. And I thank God for godly politicians. And I believe God has called them and they're in there to do a work and to be the light in that political system and to make godly decisions. So I encourage you to vote. But church, that's not what's going to turn around America. 
It's people like Abraham that go and stand before the Lord in focused, fervent faith and pray, God, come and save this nation. And I better keep going or I won't get through. Look at verse 23. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Church, we live in a time when our culture and people around the world, they doubt the justice of God. They doubt whether God is just. And Abraham is answering the question right there. He's saying, God, I know you're going to do what's right. I know you're going to be just in this situation. And church, you and I can stand on the truth of God's Word today and know that our God is always in perfect justice. But God does at times come and bring His judgment. Let's go on. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. God says, okay. Now, is God just a pushover? Does God not really care about their sin? No, God cares about the sin. The cross is because of the sin of the human race. It's because of my sin. It's because of your sin. Jesus had to go to the cross and thank God. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Paul says, I glory in the cross. Amen? And today we still glory in the cross. But the cross tells us God isn't weak on sin or that He doesn't care about sin. God cares about sin. But the cross also tells us that God is a God of mercy. He's a God of love. Aren't you thankful for that? And that's why God's saying here, okay, if there's 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, I'll spare the city. Verse 27, Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. He's coming in humility. Focused, fervent faith comes in humility. Because God resists the proud, but He lifts up the humble. We have to come in humility and recognize that God's the only answer. 
Then look at verse 28. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. So he stands in the gap before the Lord in humility and he asks in faith, focused faith for a certain situation and he's fervently asking for God to intervene and God says yes. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. See, he's still coming in humility, but he's recognizing the privilege that he has as a son of God, as a man of faith that he can stand and intercede for those that, that need God to intervene. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now you say, well, pastor, God did judge Sodom and Gomorrah because he didn't even find ten people in that city-state or what in that day with the limited number of people in the world could have been considered a nation of its own. At least a city-state. And he couldn't find ten people. And God did judge them. But God rescued Lot and his wife and his daughters. Amen? What I want you to see is we have that privilege of Abraham of coming boldly to the throne of grace with our petitions. And we come and we come in focused, fervent faith in prayer, believing that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers. And we can stand in the gap for our children and for our grandchildren, for our friends and for our city and for our state and for our nation. And God's looking for people who will do just that. Now there's some lessons I want us to see. First of all, I want you to note the environment. Sodom and Gomorrah has gone down in history because of their depravity, because of their immorality, because of their perversion. We read the verse a moment ago that their, their sin was great before God, that there was an outcry against this city. And, it, and it's not just the fact of the homosexuality. What I want us to see is a, na- is, a, is a city or state or nation that allows the culture to so consume them in sin that they lose sight of what God created them to be.
They had rejected God. They had rejected His Word. Their mind was totally consumed with fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And they became so corrupt, so perverted, that God said it has reached a limit that it's like a cancer and I need to remove it. But what I want us to see, church, in this is that no matter how corrupt or perverted our city, state, or nation become, we can intercede like Abraham. Amen? We can intercede. We can stand in the gap for them. No matter how bad things come. The next lesson I want us to see is the power of focused and fervent faith in this environment that's dominated by the blindness and perversion that we are Abraham's kids spiritually and we can stand against it. Second, notice that there's a great family issue here taking place. Abraham's nephew Lot is there along with his wife and daughters. And 2 Peter tells us something about Lot that's important, and I'm going to read that to you. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. It says, And delivered righteous Lot, talking about God delivered him, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds." Lot was righteous in the midst of a culture that was totally immoral and perverted. If Lot can do it, we can do it. Amen? We have the power of the Holy Spirit to encourage us and to, that dwells within us, that empowers us and strengthens us so that we can live righteous and holy even in the midst of a culture that's perverted. And it says that it vexed his soul. And I want to ask you, do you ever get upset when you see the sin in our culture? I was talking to a young man the other day and he, he said, I just had to, to get rid of all my net, the internet and everything. He said, you know, there's so much garbage on there that I was just being assaulted. And it's true. And we need to guard ourselves. But when you see the things that are taking place, does it vex your soul? Are you wanting to live for God and say, God, I want to be righteous. I want to be holy. I want you to work in my life that so much that, that when we see this, that it, it, it hurts us. That was Lot. And Abraham, it was appropriate for him to care about Lot. And he was interceding because not for selfish reasons, but because his family was there. The next generation was there. Third, God was, has a compassionate heart. We talked about it a few moments ago. So many people think that God, if there is a God, doesn't care about them, doesn't love them. And church, I want you to know God loves you today. 
He loves you and he cares about you. Abraham was in a situation where he was able to make a difference. Abraham accepted his place in prayer and focused faith. Look at verse 24 in Genesis 18. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not share it for 50 righteous? And God relents and says, yes, I'll spare the city. I love that. And notice, church, that Abraham stopped asking before God stopped conceding. Did you see that? God never did tell him no, but he stopped at 10, and there weren't even 10 in the city that were righteous. God's word tells us to pray, to pray for people. And I'm about to close, and I want to, I want to give you a verse out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's all mankind. In other words, everybody needs prayer and we need to pray for everybody. <laughs> and then he, he starts with kings. He says, for kings and all those who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Church, you may not like the politics of whoever party, whatever party is in control, but you're called to pray for them. And God gives us a promise there. He says, we pray for those in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So we determine, it's the body of Christ that determines whether our culture is going to be filled with violence or whether we're going to live in peace and be able to live in freedom and worship God. Prayers are powerful. So I want to tell you one of the things that we need to pray. We need to pray for Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. Pray that over our nation. It says, righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So we pray against the spirits of anarchy, violence, bitterness, hatred in our nation. We pray for the Spirit of God to move. And I want to ask you, church, some people have given up. Some Christians have given up. I've encountered pastors that have given up. And they say, well, we know what the Bible says. It's just going to get bad in the last days. You know what it says about the last days. And I say, yes, I do. It says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And my sons and my daughters are going to prophesy. <laughs> Amen. That's what it says. At the same time the world's getting darker, the church is going to rise up in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And God's calling us to stand like Abraham. 
Stand in the gap for the next generation. Stand in the gap for our children. Stand in the gap for your neighbors. Stand in the gap for our city, state, and nation. God, I can just see God. He, he had to be so excited when Abraham stands before him and says, well, God, if there's 50, if there's 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare the city? Just like a father gets excited when his children make the right decision and, and do good things. I can just picture our heavenly father being excited about Abraham and I believe that God is looking for sons and daughters just like Abraham who are willing to stand before him in focused fervent faith and pray amen I want to invite the worship team to come and we're going to close joining us today we look forward to connecting with you next time and don't forget you can support us by giving through the church center app or by going online at summitwc.com give